This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hi, everyone. This is Amanda. And today I'm talking with Shauna Oshiro. And she is the tenor for Halo Quartet. And she's also the executive director for Halo Incorporated. And she is a board certified music therapist. Hi, Shauna. How are you? I'm great, Amanda. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm great. It's really a pleasure to have you on. You're doing so many things out there in the community, using Barbershop for what I would consider to be social change. And I think it's amazing. And we really want to talk to you about that today. How did you get your start in acapella? Well, I have sung in a number of different kinds of groups and uh, lots of different choral and jazz and a myriad of musical styles from since I was very young singing in church. I got started singing in Barbershop in about 2011 shortly after meeting Richard Llewellyn in the master certificate program at Shenandoah Conservatory for Music Therapy. And he introduced me, of course, to Christina Llewellyn. And she and Christina Adams were working on forming a quartet together. And the story is kind of like, you know, they invited me to audition for this thing and there was wine. And the next thing I know, I'm the base of this quartet. I think that's how Barbershop works. <laughs> I think so. And that's kind of how I've been forming my groups and <laughs> inviting people to the experience since then, because I'm like, well, it worked for me. So <laughs> food, wine and singing, I, that's just the formula I know. Um, why mess? If it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> It took me a little bit to get oriented to what exactly I had signed up for because I was just so used to getting on board with whatever musical projects were open to me as opportunities. But I started to learn that this was a different kind of animal from the things that I've been used to before, where this was a much more community-oriented experience as well as a rigorous, musically challenging and also very much a musically gratifying experience. So it was very different from anything I had experienced in that regard. And we went on to compete. And in 2012, from our first competition, we were fortunate through Richard's coaching and um, lots of talent and dedication amongst us in the group to be the champions that year. So after you were with Epic, you've gone on and now you sing with a quartet called Halo, which actually brings a lot of special new things to this community that, that I think I know Harmony Inc. really appreciates and as well as the barbershop community at large. Can you tell us a little bit about Halo? Yeah, it's been really cool. So Halo, we are the first quartet of African-American singers to compete on the international stage. And this happened in 2015 and we're still so far the only quartet of african-american singers who have been on the international stage coming into 2019 which is um it's not we don't want to leave it that way um no. but <laughs> so when we had that experience in 2015 it was illustrative to us that the barbershop community is definitely still experiencing a challenge in its efforts to its efforts and desires to diversify and integrate other cultural perspectives and backgrounds and everything because of the roots of its exclusionary practices back in the 1940s, which gave birth, of course, to Harmony Incorporated, we know. And when we were thinking about this, it was my sister and I, we were in a hotel room together, and we were musing over the fact that barbershop and the challenges that it is facing from a cultural and social standpoint are rather reflective in many ways of many of the challenges that we are experiencing in society as a whole in this nation, also because of the practices and system of racism that is built into the foundation of this country's establishment. And 
we saw so much potential for barbershop to connect to its history in the way that America could connect to its history to approach a process of healing and doing so through music. And that gave birth to a lot of the outreach program that we're doing right now. Which is pretty incredible. I know you've come and done some presentations for our local chapter here, Bellanova. And I've seen a lot of the work that you've been doing with Harmony Inc. Can you share with people? I know that one of your biggest programs is the Race and Real Talk program. Um, What kind of things do you talk about? And what kind of communities do you do outreach in? And how does Barbershop work into all of this? So Race and Real Talk, that is a program that was born of this vision that we had. So as we were delving into this idea that barbershop was this kind of funky musical America in miniature, not only in the ways that exclusionary practices have influenced present challenges of connecting culturally and socially, but also with respect to the fact that so many contributions have been made historically from African Americans because Barbershop is rooted in African-American traditions of singing and acapella and vocal styles, and it gave birth to this community that has flourished over the centuries, but it has not since then really included Black people in that meaningful a way for a very long time. And America also has this struggle with the contributions that African-Americans have made to the establishment of this society, the prosperity of this nation, and but the marginalization of those people from being able to participate in that prosperity. And so we were thinking like, you know, if Barbershop has this quality of being a mirror for America, for the United States at large, I wonder what the music could tell us. And then it was this idea that in in the Barbershop style, the beauty of this music compared to other styles of acapella singing, especially, is the fact that the music is very much obviously harmonically driven because you don't have instruments and percussion to propel and support the song. So it's this consistent cycle of tension and release and barbershoppers you know we love to hang on to those really tight chords that while they are technically they contain dissonance but we experience it as this beautiful and pleasurable thing that we really like to absorb before we resolve the harmony into something consonant and continue the song especially in ballads and we were like so what if we were able to learn to do that in our conversations because in the united states particularly since the tension around conversations about racism really started to remerge into the conversation at large since I believe Obama's presidency, but it's not just his presidency that sparked this. It was also the fact that social media was becoming much more popular and there was all these other networks of engaging. And so all of the tension that had been building up over many decades since the civil rights movement over how racism was still manifest when there were some beliefs that we had come further distance than perhaps we actually had. And so we weren't really, ag- we're, we're not in agreement over the influence that the system of racism has continued to have over society in the present day on people of color and especially African-Americans. And we were thinking, you know, with all this tension and discord in the conversation, what if we were able to line up, lock up and allow the fact that the different perspectives that we bring similar to the different voice parts can be aligned and brought together when each perspective is functioning according to its place in the conversation. We can bring them together in a way 
that even when the perspectives are different, you can still create harmony. And even when it is uncomfortable, when there is tension in sharing that truth, because whether you're Black, white, Indigenous, Asian, Hispanic, Latinx, all of those pieces, everybody who is part of this society is part of that history and is connected to that foundation and that system in some way or another. And all of our perspectives are part of the story. So if we can bring them together truthfully and mindfully of ourselves and learn to listen to one another and the way that we practice doing so, learning to sing barbershop and learning to sing it really well, we were thinking maybe there's hope for extracting beauty from this very ugly past, this very ugly practice and very uncomfortable truths. Maybe there's something to be gained and learned from the fact that, you know what, we are all here. <laughs> kind of bizarre Petri dish social experiment of some author of the universe. And what if there was a way to experience it as a beautiful thing and allow it to inform us on how to move conversations forward rather than shut down and to continue the social evolution that we have been on a path of as a nation. And that's one of the beautiful things that I like to believe about America is that, you know, America tries and we are looking to improve. We are striving towards this kind of ideal and it's really rigorous and often frustrating practice, just like trying to be an awesome barbershop quartet. But what we also learn in barbershop, in the quartets, in the courses, in the community, is that it's worth the struggle. It is. That's what we believe in. And we have led, we are coming into our fifth extended series, and we have conducted workshops in a number of different places around the nation, lots of things in the DMV. We've done things with Loudoun County Public Schools, different church organizations, and so on and so forth. We've done a couple of presentations with the Barbershop Harmony Society out in Nashville. We also did a presentation for the National Museum of African American Music. So we are really kind of on a roll with sharing this idea and including people in the conversation and connecting people to this new way of having it. And on the broad scale, like, you know, it's still a grain of sand, like on a beach, as far as it being an idea and a thing that's happening. But people who are participating have been really positive in their response of how it has given them tools to come to the conversation and to learn to think about issues of racism in a different way and have a greater deal of empathy for people whose views are different, understanding that there's lots to work out from understanding how our perspectives fit into the bigger picture. And so it's just something that we're continuing to work towards sharing with more and more people. So that brings me right into my next question. Well done. What has surprised you the most about the way that the audiences react to your presentations? Well, sometimes it's hard to think of being surprised when you don't necessarily have a great deal of expectations <laughs> with respect to audiences in particular. I guess it was a pleasant sort of surprise. It's not like I thought one way or the other that people were necessarily going to react to it one way or another. But I've been pleasantly surprised. We've been pleasantly surprised that people have come to us and said that they were indeed able to receive the message and it's really provoked them to think more critically about racism, their own views and behaviors and, and both people of color and white people checking in on like our thoughts 
systems, our belief systems, and how we're navigating and perceiving the world around us and other people. And I guess one of the things that I like is that it's been a process that has allowed people, both who have participated in the program and who have attended our concerts, are expressing things like they're starting to see that more of us are in the same boat than we have been led to believe. That's a nice place to get to. Yeah. And it's a necessary place to get to because one of the things that we are learning in our shared readings and observation of media materials is that racism, I mean, we kind of all generally know that it's pretty broadly accepted that race on a biological basis is not a thing, that it is a social construct. And what we are becoming more, for lack of a better expression, fluent in our understanding of is the fact that it has continued to be a deliberately constructed system that is intended to keep races apart because it has to divide the lower classes so that they don't push back against the wealthiest and the elite and the powers that be. Because at the end of the day, there's much more people who have less than the people who have the most. And it's critical that the masses are not it's about the fact that the collective interest needs to be elusive in order for the system to operate in the way that it continues to your talks and just your being in my part of my community has given me reason to take pause and to think about things but over the last several years we've seen barbershop harmony society come out with their everyone in harmony mission and their unity and harmony and they've actually made official statements about going back to the roots of the genre and that barbershop is rooted in the african-american community and they need to honor that more and then of course we've got harmony inc who was founded for the very reason of being more inclusive to people of color that was a big reason for the founding of Harmony Inc. And I think overall the communities want to be inclusive. However, the barbershop community is largely white and privileged and it doesn't represent the America that is out there. I know not everyone has all of the answers and I don't expect you to either, but where would you like to see these next steps go so that we can get the barbershop community to look more like the culture that it actually is a part of? I've had the privilege of being able to co-teach with Chris Rimple for the Harmony University online program and it was a barbershop purposeful inclusion class. And so these questions about where is it that we would like to go and looking at our history and the efforts that are currently being made, so many things come up at a time because you've got these intersecting categories of identity where in some respects, a person identifies with a degree of marginalization, like being a person of color, in some respects being a woman, perhaps being of a lower socioeconomic status. And then you've got other things like gender identity. You might be a person of color who is of low socioeconomic status, but you happen to be cisgender and Christian, for example. So we've got all these things with religious orientation or spiritual orientation, I'll say that, gender identity, socioeconomic status, race, there's all of these different things that contribute to 
our identities. We're still figuring out what does it mean to include all of the things that people are, that people can be, all of the things that America is and America could be and has been. And it's complicated because it tends to be a fine line to dance around where when does the exercise and the effort to include result in exclusion at the same time. And what I just hope for for the societies, for the community at large, and in a such a way that it influences the country is that we are able to acknowledge all of the things that people are, all of the things that America is and can be, all of the things that the community is and can be, and come to a place where we embrace those different aspects of identity and willingly integrate them without any reaction that feels like a challenge to our identity. If we can come to a place where we can honor and recognize everything that another person is without feeling that it is a threat to our identities and values, in ideally, I think that's where we would want to be as a community and as a nation. I don't know that I've seen any such thing exist in any part of the world, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I mean, homogeneity of culture and values is just one of the things that makes a society functional and like let it feel secure. And so this is a weird place for people to be. I think historically America is different in this respect. Not that there aren't other countries that have diversity, but America has a lot of the most and our ideas profess that we value freedom, equality and all of these other things and we really I don't think that we figured that out yet and Barbershop hasn't figured that out yet but I would love to see that actualized as always you bring some really insightful things for people to think about Shauna so thank you for bringing all of that today if programs or communities or groups would like to have you out for a program with Halo how can they do that you can reach out to me it's Shauna S-H-A-N-A dot Oshiro O-S-H-I-R-O at HaloQuartet.org and if you want to still learn more about it read more about it you can go to our website which is HaloQuartet.com and and there's lots of different things about who we are as a quartet, as an organization, our Race and Real Talk program. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me and I'm happy to answer them. So we also, with the workshops that we bring to communities who specifically request us, we have the extended program series, which is open to people who just want to participate and take part of the conversation. And it's a longer term process where we we're sharing ideas, sharing the same materials, we're learning music together. And that's what culminates into a presentation that we offer to the public. And our upcoming series for fall 2019, our program is called Race and Real Talk Immigration, Engaging Across Political Perspectives. And we all know that right now the dialogue about the issues with the crisis at the border is a very hot button and sensitive issue. And what we want to bring to it is the opportunity to figure out how can we have this conversation in a productive way. And not only that, this is going to be the template for a research study, a formal research study that we are conducting that will be published in music therapy, political or um, social work journals and or social work journals. And we are recruiting participants. It's going to be held in Rockville, Maryland at Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Rockville. The program starts in October and it's a bi-weekly sessions. There are six sessions and then a culminating performance on December 15th. So if there's anybody who is interested in participating in this study, 
as we are investigating the impact of this program that can inform us on how to move forward and share it with other communities, we really would love to have you. And you can contact me at the email that I gave before, shana.oshiro at haloquartet.org. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to, I feel like Halo is, even though you've been around for several years now, I think you guys are really just getting started. There's so much more that's coming and I look forward to watching it and helping out wherever I can. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate you letting me share. Thanks, Shauna. Hey, folks, this is Rachel, and I am here with... Amanda. And we are your hosts for Vocal Perspective. And this segment, we're going to be talking about some of the things that we'd like to see coming up in the next year or so. We're looking towards the end of 2019 and forward into 2020. And I think I'd like to start off talking about groups and their own authenticity and being true to themselves. And that's something that I think we often see there are groups that come through and make this really powerhouse statement and that people just really gravitate towards. And then people are so enamored of it that they want to replicate it themselves. And it feels inauthentic. And I wonder if there are ways that groups might be able to find their own inner drive, the thing that makes them them, that is special and unique and different from other groups, that that they might be able to take advantage of and promote for themselves. What do you think? Exactly. So going back to the SoCal Vocals win in 2018 and ICCA, one of the things that they did was a dance breakdown. They happened to have three, four, five really good dancers in the group, and it worked for them. So worked. It might not work for your group. If it does, awesome. Great. Do it. But if it doesn't, don't force your group members to dance. Don't force yourselves to do that style of music just because it worked for an ICCA champion. Same, you know, same with music choices, same with chord structures and everything else. Like experiment with what works for you. So often we get requests, especially in the studio, and we love when they give us examples of like, this is the, this is, there's a difference between saying this is a style that we like and this is our this is what we're trying to sound like yeah. as opposed to giving us a list of essentially giving us bokeh and saying make us sound like this. Yeah. When you start saying make when you use the word make, yeah, that's when you need to take a step back. Right. Because, I mean, to me, you are the maker, right? Not, I'm, I don't mean you, Amanda. I mean, you as the artist are the maker. And you have the tools in your tool set. And I would say, don't, <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think of an analogy. Don't, <laughs> don't build a house with a screwdriver. You need a hammer too. And so if you have the, you know, if you have a hammer, build something that you need a hammer with. Uh, If you have a screwdriver, build something that you need a screwdriver with. Uh, Sorry, I don't know a lot about building. uh, And I went down the wrong (laughs) path with this analogy. Um, (laughs) It works. It still works, Rachel. (laughs) But the, the idea is that take advantage of the things you do have that other people don't have. Highlight those. And I I do see groups trying to do this where they, they're like, oh, we have a a really powerful belter. So we're really going to pick songs that highlight the, the strength of some of our vocalists. And I think that is absolutely the right way to go. Whether that vocalist has a, I don't know, has a, the timbre, the tenor of a different group is immaterial. That what's important is you take advantage of the skills that 
that you have and highlight those. Yeah. And for us as audience members or judges, you know, by the end of a 10 or 12 group competition, I want to remember your group. I don't want it to be just this blur of everyone sounded the same. Everyone did the same choreo. Everyone did the same things. The groups that stand out for me are the ones that take some risks, but also perform as though they are super comfortable and they are showing, you know, performance should be just a slightly exaggerated version of yourself, not you trying to act a certain way. I totally agree. I think that, yeah, I guess what I would like to do is challenge groups out there to do some of that inner work, look in at your group and and identify the things that are special and unique to you and to do your best to bring those out in your performances in on stage and to really to highlight those things that are special and unique to you. Exactly. And building off of that, I also want groups to not be afraid to be themselves in their music choices. Yes. You know, it's okay if you want to sing top 40. If that's what you and your group members really enjoy, you don't have to go out and pick your repertoire this year by doing some crazy deep dive on Spotify so that you're the only group that does this song. I don't mind hearing the same song over and over again. As long as you are on stage having fun with it, then do whatever you want. In the same respect, yes, it is cool when people deconstruct a song and totally make it something else. Also very cool. But if that's not you, do a straight up cover of a song. There's a reason like 80s bands are so popular. Nobody wants to go to an 80s band and hear them do their own interpretation of a song like that's totally weird. People go to 80s concerts because they want to hear the song exactly as they remember it. So there's nothing wrong with that. No. If that's not your style of music, then cool. Go do your own style of music. But don't be afraid because, I mean, it's almost become the butt of the joke in acapella, like the fix you's and all of that. You know, we're going way back with fix you, but like uptown, <laughs> uptown funk. And like, I haven't, I don't know what's going to be like this year's completely overdone song. But if you do a completely overdone song and you're on stage loving it, I don't care that you're doing a completely overdone song. Totally. I would say too that your audience is not necessarily made up of people who go to see acapella concerts or competitions over and over and over again. (laughs) So just because me, for example, I, I do see a lot of acapella and I might see things over and over again and it might make, I mean, I might have feelings about that or I might not, but not everybody in the audience is that person. And so if you are doing something that's on the radio there that's top 40 or whatever, the the chances are they're going to love it because they are not hearing it done acapella over and over again. I think that um, that's something to take into consideration that not, I mean, maybe for competition, you know, maybe there's a different calculus there. But I would say for regular performances where the audience member isn't a sophisticated, perhaps, or very knowledgeable acapella denizen, that um, that they're going to love that and they're going to be so impressed impressed with your authentic take on the song that they know and love. Right. Don't just pick your set list based on that tight inner circle of acapella. Remember that your audiences are usually made up of so much more than that. And really, the only reason that I would encourage you to maybe not do the most overdone song of the year in competition is because the judges have heard it 10 or 15 times, and they're going to be comparing you to the other groups that have done it. But that's the only reason I would say maybe think about not doing it in competition but if your group does it extremely well and you have a good soloist then sure do it it's 
you know, totally that I, I totally agree do it really well, then do it. I totally agree. I think that that if you want to, I don't know, I, again, going back to the beginning, be authentic to yourselves. If that's what you want to do, and that's what you love, and you feel like it, it represents you and who you are, then that is absolutely what you should be doing. And that wraps up episode 10 of Vocal Perspective. We are so glad you could join us and share in the insights we received from Shauna Oshiro. And we'll be back next week with episode 11. Get your fix for everything acapella 24 hours a day, seven days a week at Acaville Radio. <laughs>